Amen. Well, I am thrilled to be able to bring our Masterpiece in Progress series to a close this morning. I believe this is our eighth week, our final week in this series. And so we are shifting. Uh, we're going to have our focus be on the conclusion of Paul's letter to the churches in Ephesus. And if you've been with us, you know that Paul kind of takes us on a bit of a journey, right? He starts by really just cementing the truths of who we are, our identity in Christ. And then he shifts our focus outwards, right, to, to who we're called to be in light of those truths. Pastor Daniel gave us that, that phrase from the movie Black Panther, right, show them who you are. But then now as he concludes his letter, he's actually going to shift our focus even beyond that, beyond the things we can see in front of us, because he wants us to wake up to the spiritual realities in our lives. Right? He wants us to wake up to the fact that there is more going on in this world than just what we can see, feel, or touch around us. So I've titled this morning's message, Battle Ready. Battle Ready. If you are taking notes this morning, go ahead and write that big, bold letters at the top. And there's a reason why I've given uh, this message that title. It's because I'm fairly certain that most of us go through life completely unaware that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. Completely unaware of this fact. And what happens when you don't know that you're in the middle of a battle, well, you're not prepared for that battle, right? And what happens when you're not prepared for that battle, you, you can get yourself hurt. Let me give you an example, okay? I'm going to take you all the way back to my eighth grade year, back to the first and only fist fight that I have ever been in, okay? <laughs> this isn't a pretty story. So what happened is I was at a, a, like a birthday party. I can't remember whose birthday it was, but there was like 15 or 20 uh, kids from my class from school at this birthday party. And it was like any middle school birthday party. There's tons of junk food and a bunch of kids who thought they were way cooler than they actually were, right? So I'm there with my buddies, and there was these two guys there who I didn't know who they were. I think one of the girls had brought them. I knew everybody else. I didn't know these two guys, but I didn't pay much attention. I was just hanging out with my friends, and I was out with my buddy Mike out in front of this house. I was talking to him, and I turned my back. And the moment I turned my back, these two dudes come out of nowhere, and they jump my friend Mike. And I'm not talking like pushing or shoving or shouting. Like these dudes were throwing hands, like immediately, I'm talking like haymakers. I'm 13 years old. I'd never seen a fight like this before. I'd never been in a fight like this before. So I kind of froze, and thankfully my instincts kicked in, and I ran to my buddy. And I would love to tell you that I was the hero in the moment. I'd love to tell you that I fought these guys both off, and they ran home crying. But that's not the case. Y'all, I got my butt kicked. <laughs> I got it handed to me. I got a couple shots to the face, a couple shots to the stomach. I managed to stay on my feet, but I got hurt. I got messed up. It was not pretty. And the reality is that this happened because I wasn't ready for that fight. I wasn't ready for that battle. And so what happened? I got hurt. I wasn't battle ready, so I got hurt. Now, I want you to sort of to, to, to look at a different perspective, okay? Think of the brave men and women in our law enforcement. Think of the soldiers that defend our country. They spend a ton of time training preparing themselves for the dangers that they know that they're going to face. Countless hours learning the tactics of their opposition so that they are battle ready. But even on top of all of that, we've got some of these amazing folks right here in our midst. On top of all of that, they know that they can't protect themselves against any danger. And so I'm going to show you what they do. I've got my wife Lindsay here to help me out. I've got a little, little prop this morning. What they do is they, they put on one of these. 
Y'all, I may not have been ready for that eighth grade brawl. When I put this on, I'm like, all right, let's go. I feel invincible, at least from like here to here, right? <laughs> but the reality is they realize that on their own, they can't defend themselves against every danger. So they put on some armor. I was actually able to borrow this from a brother in our congregation. And I'm so grateful for what he and what so many of our local law enforcement, what our soldiers do to defend us, but realize the fact that even though they put in countless hours of training, even they, brave men and women as they are, know they can't defend themselves against everything. So they put that armor on. What I'm trying to get at is that most of us go through this life completely unaware of the fact that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. Most of us look more like the eighth grade version of myself than like the FBI detective that I borrowed this from. But the reality is no matter who you are, no matter what like, season of life you're in, you are susceptible to the same battles. You are still a target for our enemy. It's important that we're battle ready. Because a life spent following Jesus isn't some like smooth sailing, conflict-free joy ride into eternity. No, the reality is a life spent following Jesus looks a whole lot more like marching into a battlefield. A life spent following Jesus is one in which you are a very real target to a very real enemy. And the reality is most of us don't see our lives this way. We don't see the sinful or the painful things that we experience like in our, in our marriage, in our businesses, in our families, in our relationships. We don't see those for what they are. It's not just the result of broken people living in a fallen world. No, it is the impact and the influence of your enemy who has come to attack and to destroy you. It's got that same heart of those cowards that jumped my buddy back in the eighth grade. All he wants to do is to sucker punch you and leave you busted and broken. This is the reality that we are living in. I get that you may not see it that way, but it's the truth. Jesus talks about it. So you know it's true. But the good news for us, the good news this morning, is that even though you're caught in the midst of a spiritual battle, that the war has already been won. The war has already been won. Doesn't mean you're not going to experience hardship. Does not, doesn't mean you're not going to experience spiritual attack. Whether you're going to come out unscathed, but what it means is that you can go bravely into that battle knowing that Jesus has already won the war. So my question for you, family, is, are you battle ready? Are you battle ready? Do you know who your enemy is? Do you know the strength that's been given to you? And do you know what it means to put your armor on? Family, I believe there is no coincidence what we went through this past week. I believe there's no coincidence about what we are heading into in this season ahead. There's going to be spiritual warfare, and we've got to armor up. So we're going to talk about what that looks like this morning. But first, let's pause. Let's ask the Lord to guide us in our conversation. Father, we are so thankful for who you are. Lord, we're so thankful for the ways that you are moving in and amongst us, the ways you have loved us and cared for us and protected us, provided for us. Lord, strengthened us. You are so faithful. Would you speak to us this morning, Lord, through your word? Would you help us to be truly battle ready? We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and take this off because it ain't exactly comfortable to preach in. But what I'd love for you to do, thank you, sweetheart. 
Uh, if you've got your Bibles or Bible apps with you, open those up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, like I mentioned, uh, this is the end of Paul's letter. It's probably going to be one of the most familiar to you, especially if you've grown up in church. It's where Paul talks about the armor of God. We'll get to that armor here in a minute, but I think we need to really just to, to dive deep into these spiritual realities that I was talking about. So we're going to focus on verses 10 through 12 to begin. Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 12 say this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we're going to stop right there because what Paul is describing is a spiritual reality that is much different than the one most of us think that we're living in. I think most of us have been led to believe that we actually do wrestle against flesh and against blood. Right? That the battles we face in our lives are a result of, of the, the leaders who are, are leading in our government or because of, of the media or because of, of the selfishness of the people around us. And while some of those things, they may be factors, what Paul is pointing us to is that there is a spiritual world, a spiritual reality at place, and that there are evil forces that are influencing everything that we see. And it's important because if we take a hit in spiritual battle, we need to know where that hit comes from. We all have seen like the three stooges, right? Like sometimes they get hit by one, they think the other person hit them. We're out here looking like three stooges sometimes. We're getting hit by people and we're thinking that it's them, but it's really our enemy who's taking the hit. I think this is one of the biggest differences between the, the churches in Ephesus and our churches today. Because back in those days, they understood the realities of the, of the spiritual realm. They just didn't understand the power that they had in Jesus. We, on the other hand, we have no idea of the spiritual battle we're in. So that these verses, they tend to get watered down. Right? If you all grew up in church, you've seen a cheesy flannel graph like this, this one they're going to put up behind me. Right? We've, all, we've all seen that, right? But these verses, they intend to get, they get, they get watered down. There it is. <laughs> and here's the thing. That may be helpful for us as kids. But what most of us come to find out as adults is that there's no way that that cheesy flannel graph can capture the severity of true spiritual attack. Those two things don't look the same. And so what happens is over time, we, we start to see this spiritual battle and we either discredit it, we make light of it, or we just straight up disbelieve it. And then we're led to believe, or we're deceived really, into believing that the spiritual battle is, is actually just a battle between flesh and blood. But what Paul is trying to make clear for us here, and what Jesus makes abundantly clear in his ministry, is that there are spiritual forces of evil at work. Spiritual forces of evil that are trying to thwart God's plan of redemption and of restoration. I mean, if you don't believe me, just open up in the Gospels and see how many times Jesus is casting out demons. Just see how often he's talking about this spiritual realm, and yet we just kind of turn a blind eye towards it. Him that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And even though these spiritual forces, they are fighting a losing battle, it doesn't mean they're going to go down without a fight. That's why Paul gives us this encouragement. We, yeah, Jesus may have already won the war, but that doesn't mean these battles aren't going to occur. So what are we supposed to do in light of this reality? I believe Paul is going to point us to three things this morning. They happen to be my three points. It might come as a surprise to you. The first one is that we need to wake up to the schemes of the enemy. Wake up to the schemes of the enemy. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, he says that one of the biggest mistakes Christians can make 
is to disbelieve in the existence of the devil. It's to disbelieve in the existence of the devil because if we don't believe he's real, then we won't pay him any attention. And what will happen is he and his army will march right into our territory undetected. It's one of the biggest mistakes we can make. And the sad truth is, family, that we're making this mistake. Not we as awakened, but we as the church. I read a study just the other day that says the number of Christians, church-going Christians who, believe in, who, uh, who do not believe in Satan, that it's growing. It's growing rapidly. Christians who, who, who read their Bibles who sit in services like this every single Sunday, they're increasingly disbelieving in Satan. So it's no wonder then why, why we're, we're taking up arms against each other, right? Why, why gospel-believing Christians are taking up arms against one another. It's because they know they've got an enemy, right? They've just misidentified him. But here's the thing we need to remember. People are not the enemy, right? That person on the other side of the political aisle is not your enemy, that neighbor that gets on your last nerve is not your enemy. That doctor at the abortion clinic, also not your enemy. We don't fight our battles against flesh and against blood. People are not the enemy. This is the same thing Paul's trying to get across to the Ephesians. He's saying, hey, Nero is not your enemy. Rome is not your enemy. Those Pharisees, those religious elite, they are not your enemy. Those people who are persecuting you, also not your enemy. You have one enemy and his name is Satan. We've got one enemy. That same truth, it holds true for us today. And so for us to get battle ready then, we need to understand our enemy. We need to understand his battle plan. So we're going to talk just for a minute about Satan's battle plan because while he may be crafty, man, he is also so doggone predictable. Satan's got four ways that he is going to attack you. At least four, but these are the four I want to highlight here this morning. The first is through deception. Deception, twisting the truth. What makes deception so hard is that it's hard to detect. It's kind of the whole idea with deception. Right? Satan knows better than just to outright lie to us. And so what he does instead is he leaves us these half-truths, like these little breadcrumbs that lead us down this dangerous path. These little half-truths. So we'll tell ourselves, you know, I'm not being stingy with my money. I'm just trying to be a good steward. <laughs> right? How about this? I, I'm not prideful. I'm just a natural-born leader. <laughs> Half-truths that lead us down that path. How about this? My marriage is fine. We're just in a, in a funk. Right? You know, I, don't, I don't have a porn addiction. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just lonely. These little half-truths, these little breadcrumbs, they lead us down the path of deception. And that path will lead us towards destruction. But I want you to hear what Jesus has to say. I love this verse. John 8, 44, he talks about Satan. He says this, he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So to be battle ready, we have to be on guard against deception. Second form of attack is through distraction. It's through distraction. I think this is probably where the enemy has gained the most ground in our lifetimes. Because he doesn't even have to go to the trouble of deceiving us if all he has to do is to leverage our ever-decreasing attention span to distract us. That's all he has to do. And, and let's be real, he has endless tools at his disposal, doesn't he? I mean, we don't even have to talk about technology or social media, which are obvious distractions. He can use the good things in our lives. 
our families, our jobs, the great sport of football, right? He can use all these things to distract us, to keep our attention over here while he wreaks havoc over here. We don't often think of this, but our attention is a limited resource to us. We only have so much of it to give, and so if all your attention is over here on your job, well, Satan's going to attack your family over here. If all your attention is on, is on your marriage, well, he can attack your kids over here. He's like a pickpocket, right? Pickpockets, they get your attention up here while they steal in your, your wallet from your back pocket. He's going to attack you through distraction. He doesn't even have to put these, these lies in your head. He doesn't even have to deceive you. If he can just keep your eyes off of the truth, if you can do that long enough, he can destroy you. So if you want to be bad already, you've got to be on guard against deception. You've got to be mindful of distractions. Third form of attack is through division. It's through division. There's a couple of different ways that he goes about this. Obviously, one is when he divides between you and somebody else. Right? When he creates distance between you and other people. And oftentimes, he'll use deception and distraction in order to do this. As I was thinking about this, even this morning, I realized he does that right here in our midst, doesn't he? Divides us by deceiving us. They think, oh, man, that person, they, 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 didn't, they didn't smile at me. They didn't say hello this morning. They must have something against me. Or that person, they, they, they sing a little off tune. I don't like sitting next to them. And so what does it do? It creates distance, right? Division creates distance between us. But that's not the only way Satan uses division. He also uses division to, to separate us internally. Using things like self-pity, self-loathing. So that we end up seeing our greatest opponent as the one who's looking back in the mirror at us each morning. Satan will use those things. He'll do whatever he's got to do to put distance between you and others and between you and God. Because he knows when he creates that distance, then we're isolated. Then we're truly vulnerable to attack. The fourth form of attack is through discouragement. I mentioned this one last because I really think this is sort of Satan's, his knockout punch. I think it's his knockout punch because if he can get us to believe that we can't change, then we won't even try. This is the way that he keeps us on the sidelines. And I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. He discourages us. That's why he reminds you often about that last time that you slipped up. That one horrible thing that you may have done. Because he knows if he can discourage you, then he has a better chance to defeat you. Just to get you to throw in that towel and to quit. Remember, family, just because Jesus has already won the victory, it doesn't mean that Satan is going down without a fight. His goal is to populate hell. And even if you've already been saved by the blood of Jesus, he's still going to take every single chance he can to make you as ineffective for the kingdom as possible. There's an author by the name of John Bloom. He's talking about this idea, and he says this. He says, discouraged Christians are immobilized threats. They are diffused gospel bombs. They are silenced evangelists whose faith amnesia can be contagious. Family, if you want to be bad already, you've got to be on the lookout for these four tactics. Deception, distraction, division, and discouragement. Because I can guarantee you, even today, you're going to face at least one of these. Some of you may already have even before you walked in the doors here this morning. But the good news is that if you are battle ready, you will know what to look for. And more importantly, you will know who to look to. That leads me to my second point this morning. The first was to wake up to the schemes of the enemy. The second is to engage in the Lord's strength. To engage in the Lord's strength. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that list and when I start thinking about the ways that the enemy attacks me, it can be overwhelming. Right? I'm reminded, painfully so, of my inability to defend against those attacks. And I think that's why Paul here, he actually begins this section with this encouragement to be strong in the Lord. In other words, to fight your battles with his strength and not your own. Because what happens when you're not, when you're not battle ready is you'll rush into that fight. You'll rush into that fight completely unprepared. Just like I did in the eighth grade. I had no idea how to throw a punch or how to block one, clearly. Right? You'll go unprepared. When you know the source of your strength, though, when you know that the outcome of that battle has already been determined, man, you go in differently. I think this is why God promises us over and over again in Scripture to be the source of our strength so that we don't rush in, so that we don't try to fight for ourselves. So he reminds us in Psalm 73, 26, that even though our flesh and our hearts may fail, that God is the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. That's why he reminds us in, through the prophet Isaiah to fear not. He says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. He says, I will strengthen you. I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then finally, in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, he says, the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you. And he will guard you from the evil one. So it's not us, but it's the Lord who is the source of our strength. So the question is then, how, how do we get this strength? <laughs> how do we engage in the Lord's strength? Well, I think there's a couple of ways here that Paul mentions. The first is to start by embracing your weakness. To embrace your weakness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, that he found that his, his greatest strength was found actually in those moments and in those times where he was at his weakest. When he had nothing else to rely on but the grace and the strength of the Father. What this means for us, family, is that we need to start seeing vulnerability as our secret weapon. The enemy wants us to believe that, that, that that's going to lead to our downfall. It's only because he doesn't want to engage in that tool. But vulnerability is actually what unlocks God's power within us. And it's actually what calls in the reinforcements around us when we actually open up and go deep and get real with people. Man, God surrounds us with an army. When you open up to your church family, when you do life in community, God strengthens you not just with his power, but with the faith of your brothers and sisters. So we start by embracing our weakness. But then you've also got to put in some work. You've got to put in some work. I know this sounds kind of contradictory, right? Because I'm talking about, you know, letting God fight your battles. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you just get to sit by in life and play video games and eat bonbons, right? You were called to do something, to be active in your faith, to put in some work for yourself. Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Now, how can you be strong if you don't take time to become strong? Does that make sense? Think of it like this, okay, like lifting weights, okay? Nobody is just like magically, naturally strong. Like, I couldn't roll up to Gold's Gym and put 350 on the barbell and pump out a few reps, right? Not with these little runner's arms. <laughs> the reality is, to, become, to be strong, we've got we've to become strong. And the way you do that physically is through, through what? Through, through discipline, through training. Well, it's the same thing to become spiritually strong. Take some spiritual instruction. We practice the, the spiritual disciplines that enable us to engage in the Lord's strength. We've got to put in some work if you want to stand against the attacks that come our way. So you've got to embrace your weakness. 
We've got to put in some work. And then the next thing Paul's going to point us to is that you've got to put on some armor. Leads me to my third and final point this morning. The first was to wake up to the schemes of the enemy. Second was to engage in the Lord's strength. And the third is to go out wearing the king's armor. To go out wearing the king's armor. Now this is where I want those of you who have maybe grown up in church, those of you who have maybe heard a message on a passage like this before, I want you just to sort of wipe clean whatever you've heard. Not that it's not good to hear, but I think that there's, uh, th- th- there, there's some misconceptions. Okay, because when we, when we think of this, when we think of that cheesy flannel graph in our head, right, we think of, of the Roman soldier. And there's some really good truths, some really good connections you can make there, but, but Paul wasn't pointing us to a Roman soldier. If that's all you see it as, then you're going to miss the point that Paul is trying to make. Because Paul is actually pointing us back to the prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah actually talks about the coming Messiah as a warrior king. I've got some reference points up on the screen. They're going to be up there behind me. But Isaiah talks about this warrior king as one who prepared himself with the belt of truth. As one whose feet carried with them the good news of peace. Who came to set his people free wearing a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation. And whose words were like a sharp sword. If you know these verses, and you know that sounds kind of familiar to what Paul is talking about, doesn't it? See, the greater point that Paul is trying to make here is that we're not to just put on these, these, these armor on our own and go charge into the battlefield on our own, but that we are joining with Jesus in the battle. That it's Jesus who is equipping us. It's him who's empowering us, and it's him who has given us his armor to fight these battles alongside of him. This is what Paul was getting at all the way back in his letter. All the way back in, in chapter 1. And he talks about all authority, all, all dominion, all power being given to Jesus. In this age and in the age that is to come. And he says at the end of chapter 1 that Jesus then has, has given us all of these things. Why? To display his power. To display his might. To display his victory to these evil powers. What he's trying to show us is that we as the church are the means by which he's going to exercise his victory. We're the means by which he is going to display his power to the world. In other words, we have been called to be a part of the Lord's army. We've been called to to join in with our warrior king. If we want to put on our armor ourselves, the armor that we've built, the things that we can do on our own, well, the, the outcome of that battle is going to be uncertain. But what Paul's writing to say is if you realize that this is the armor that Jesus has given you, if you're going to go into battle with him, well, then the victory is guaranteed. So we go out wearing the king's armor, beginning with that belt of truth. We begin with that belt of truth because that's how we battle against the deception of the enemy. It's by proactively pursuing God's truth through his word. It's exactly what we see Jesus, our warrior king, do when he had his time on earth, right? Y'all know, most of you know that story of Jesus being out in the wilderness. And what happens? Spiritual attack. How does he defend against it? With the word of God. Every time Satan tries to deceive him, he responds by reciting words from scripture. And just like Jesus in the wilderness, we too are constantly being bombarded by these same spiritual attacks. We're being bombarded with lies, right? There's lies that the, that the world tells us, lies that other people speak over us, even lies that we tell ourselves. That's why it's important to put on that belt of truth. 
so that we can respond to those lies with God's word. So fasten on that belt of truth and then put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is how you stand against the discouragement of the enemy. It's by embracing the truth that God is at work within you. When I think about this breastplate, I think about that bulletproof vest that I had on a little bit ago. Right? That, that bulletproof vest, it was given to me. I didn't do anything to earn it, but it's what protected me, my most vital parts. It's the same thing with your salvation. You didn't earn it. It was given to you, but it protects you in that same way. Because it was given to you, because it protects you in that way, you know that you may get knocked down, but you cannot get knocked out. So we put on that breastplate of righteousness. And next we put on the gospel shoes of peace. I love this, the gospel shoes of peace. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but Paul throughout his letter, he's talked a lot about this idea of walking. And even in this, this particular chapter, he talks about what it takes to stand. Well, what do you need to be able to, to stand and to walk? Spiritually, you need the gospel. You need that foundation. You need the peace of a restored relationship with God. And that peace can only be found in the fact that we are no longer at war with God because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And we've had our sins forgiven. And we've been adopted as sons and daughters of the King. So we stand and we walk in our gospel shoes of peace. And next we take up the shield of faith to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, this is one area where Paul actually steps away from the image of the warrior king in Isaiah. And it makes sense if you think about it because our warrior king, King Jesus, he doesn't need a shield. But we do. We do need those shields. So we've been given this extra layer of protection to defend against the many things that come our way. And I came across this image you're going to put up on the screen behind me this week. And at first I laughed a little bit. Because you can kind of see their legs are a little bit exposed. It looks kind of funny. It's probably from like some Renaissance fair or something like that. But then I started thinking about it. And I started thinking about how impenetrable of a shield this really is. And then I started realizing what we've been walking through as a church this past week. And God gave me this picture of Josiah and Larissa with little wells somewhere in the middle of all that. And I've seen the way that this church family has stepped up. I've seen the way that each one of you have, have held a shield, those of you who have, have been made aware of this prior to today. And I've seen in the middle of that little well so protected, so protected, so filled with God's strength as he's been healing his body, but I've seen this entire family just covered with this impenetrable shield. This is what happens. This is what we talk about. This is, this is being the church. But again, it happens when we're willing to be vulnerable, when we're willing to ask for help, to acknowledge that we can't handle this battle on our own. So take up your shield of faith, all of you, because we need each other in this fight. Lastly, it says, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. I love that Paul finishes with this image of the warrior king. And it's not just with these, these weapons or this armor that, 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 that's meant to defend. But it's with this idea of us going on the offensive. Right? He talks about the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and prayer. He says, hey, this is how you take ground. 
This is how you have been equipped to advance the kingdom, by taking back what rightfully belongs to the Lord. It's through prayer and it's through the word that we will see the captives set free, that we will see territories being won back for the kingdom. So family, this is how we prepare ourselves for battle. It's by waking up to the schemes of the enemy. It's by engaging in the Lord's strength. It's by going out wearing the king's armor. So let me bring back the question I asked back at the beginning of this message. Are you battle ready? Are you battle ready? I'm going to invite the band back up now. And as I do, I want to make the spiritual tactical for you. I want to make the spiritual tactical because I think there are a couple of different ways you can respond to a word like this. A couple of different ways you can respond depending on where you might find yourself in your battle. First thing I believe some of you need to do is to choose a side. It's to choose a side. I realize that you're sitting in church this morning. But just because you're sitting here does not mean you are a part of the Lord's army. I think some of you know what I'm talking about. I think some of you honestly have tried to live most of your life being neutral. Not trying to pick sides. I just want to sort of coast I just want to kind of sleepwalk through life, just unscathed. I just don't want to be hurt. Whatever it takes, I'm just going to be nice to everybody, say the right thing. I'll even just be a different person in different places, just that I don't get hurt. But here's the deal. Neutrality is not an option when it comes to spiritual warfare. Neutrality is not an option when it comes to spiritual warfare because evil does not play by the rules. Just like the German forces back in World War II, There were countries that said, hey, we want to be neutral. Do you think they cared? No. Nor does our enemy. Neutrality is not an option. We have an enemy whose goal is to deceive you, to distract you, to discourage you, to divide you, because ultimately he wants to destroy you. Neutrality is not an option, so it's time to choose a side time to choose a side and if your side is with the Lord's army then I think your response should be the same as the rest of us is to put on the whole armor of God Paul clarifies that point not just some armor he says the whole armor because you can't be truly battle ready if you're going to go into battle without your helmet on you can't be truly battle ready if you leave your shield at home you've got to armor up Family, I believe this begins when we actually acknowledge the fact that we don't have what it takes on our own. It begins when we understand that vulnerability is actually our secret weapon. That try as you might, you cannot fight this battle on your own. Otherwise, you're going to end up like I did back in the eighth grade with a black eye and a bruised ego. Or worse. But God has surrounded you. He's given you his strength and he has put you into this church family. And as I was praying with our prayer team this morning, I felt like there was people here this morning who needed to just just let go of that facade that you've put up. Wanting everybody to feel like you've got it all together because the truth is none of us do. So stop playing games. You are in the midst of a spiritual battle. And if you're not gonna be vulnerable and open up and share that with others and with God, then you're going in on your own. You're going in on your own and, and, and the outcome is uncertain at best. I mean, if you open up, if you allow God to strengthen you, to surround you with that impenetrable shield, I can guarantee you that you will see victory. 
you will see victory. Stop fighting on your own. Allow God to fight for you. He's promised to go before you. He's promised to go with you. He's promised to strengthen you. And he's promised to surround you. All it takes is for you to open up. And he will make you battle ready. I'd like to invite you, if you would, to stand to your feet now. And before I close this in prayer, I just want you just, if you would, just look around real quickly. Look behind you. Look to the sides of you. I don't care if you've been here for five weeks or for five years. God surrounded you with an army. And more importantly, he's given you his strength. So whatever it is you might be going through, would you rely on his strength? And would you rely on this incredible family to lead you and to guide you and to be with you in that spiritual battle? Father, we thank you. We thank you that in the midst of the hardest battles in our lives that you are there. That you are there and that you have surrounded us with an army who is fighting with us and fighting for us. Thank you for the ways you have proven your faithfulness to us this week. Lord, I pray for the battle that still lies ahead. We know that you are sending us into a new territory and with that territory will come new battles. But we thank you that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name.